I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to another episode of Early Work, another isolation special, another lockdown special. Same word, special is the perfect word. This week's guest is Glenn Moore. He is a fabulous stand-up comedian. He is a radio sidekick. He's a former newsreader. Got out of the newsreading game just in time, if you're asking me. Um, Glenn is also responsible for one of the greatest ever jokes on Mock the Week. It was in Series 18, Episode 2. It was about sound, guys. I actually looked up the episode just so I could tell you about it. I recommend going to find that on YouTube or something after you listen to this. That's crucial, after you listen to this. But it's proper Hall of Fame stuff. The audience react to it like they're on a roller coaster. They scream before they laugh because they cannot believe what he has done to them. It's incredible. His early work was on brand in its reason for existing at least, which is that he was forced to write it by his father on holiday so he couldn't enjoy himself and relax. Um, Also in its influences, which is all films, but not necessarily in its content, which isn't really what I'd have expected from Glenn. It was three short stories with some pretty consistent themes uh, and also one of the biggest twists you are ever likely to hear in any story ever. Trigger warning, this podcast does feature a lot of guns. (laughs) I hate myself. I hate myself for saying that. Um, But it's a very good episode. Glenn was very funny throughout. So I will see you on the other side. Hope you enjoy it. Today's guest on another lockdown special of early work is a close friend, Glenn Moore. Glenn, for the listeners, is probably best known for having one of my favorite ever chip-based jokes in his stand-up set. Yeah, they say you're not supposed to pick favourites. Um, would you like to do the honours? Do you remember the joke? I think I Because I'm not it. sure I fully remember. Okay, go ahead. I think, isn't it something like, um, your oven? my oven broke. Correct me if I'm yeah. wrong. My oven broke. So the other day I found myself doing the incredibly bleak thing of having to heat up my oven chips with a pair of hair straighteners, which is a shame because my favourite thing about curly fries is the shape. That was it. I think that was word for word what the joke was. It's not, it can't be word for word, but I'll take it. It's, no, but close, close enough. I remember watching... I, 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 haven't, um, I haven't told that one for years. No, it's a great joke. I remember watching you do that oh, joke in a, in a like an extra gig in Edinburgh. In, uh, yeah, I remember it was in the caves. In the caves. And it was quite bad, was it, as a gig? Yeah, it was. It was really, really, really sorry. Sorry. One of the, one of those shows where you think, like, there's about 20 comedians on the bill at the Edinburgh Fringe, and you think to the audience members, why are you at this show? This yeah. is the biggest arts festival in the world. Why have you come to this one? What is wrong with you? Yeah, I think actually... And as grateful as you are, you judge them for their decision. Oh, you, you go, there's no way this I could ever thrive because this audience are... Um, they've been tricked. This is an audience of yeah. people who've been tricked. And you go, I don't, I don't, after the show, I don't want to give you a flyer for my own solo show because I don't, I don't trust your decision making and I don't want you to now <laughs> see mine. <laughs> um, Glenn is also well known for when I was getting my hair cut once by my ex-hairdresser and it will become clear why he's my ex-hairdresser shortly. And he said, that, oh, there's a famous phrase that comedians get told all the time, especially by hairdressers, which is, oh, you know who I like? And then normally they say a comedian that is maybe the most bigoted or just old-fashioned comedian possible. And yeah, it's always it's always Bernard Manning, yeah. Roy Chubby Brown, yeah. Jim Davidson. 
the, yeah, exactly. the, the, the holy trinity. And then they say, oh, that was when comedy was comedy. But what this guy said is he went, oh, do you know which comedian I like? And I thought, oh, here we fucking go. And he went, yeah, on, um, on The Breakfast Show, on Dave Barry's Breakfast Show, there's a comedian on that. I think he's called Glenn. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you seriously talking about Glenn Moore? <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? Oh, you've never told me this. Why no. didn't you tell me? Uh, I, think I, I think I told your girlfriend, expecting her to tell you, but obviously she has a No, she play. doesn't. No, she withholds that sort of information. Yeah. She doesn't want me to get big-headed. Reese, lay it on me. I want to hear all about this. So he said that, and then I said, um, oh, you know, he lives around here. Right. <laughs> why would? Why did you tell him that? <laughs> <laughs> because because we uh, we lived very close at the time, and it was local yeah. a local hairdresser. And I said, oh, you, you, oh, you know, he lives around here, thinking he'd be really excited, like, oh, maybe I'll someday get the opportunity to cut his hair. And mm. when I said, oh, you know, he lives around here, he reacted like, so why would I give a shit about that? He sort of looks at me like, okay. And I was like, well, that is a conversation. Oh. That is how conversations work. I, I add more information. Yeah that's, really str- yeah, that's really, really strange that he didn't. Uh, I mean, uh, look, we're putting words in his mouth. I, I, I'm very grateful that he felt that way. Oh, you're his favorite comedian. Congrats. Mad. He also. Has he not seen any other comedy? Who else did he like? Roy Chubby Brown? No, this is the guy. He said, um, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, which comedians do you like? He would ask me that all the time. And then I once yeah. said Dave Chappelle. And then he uh-huh. said, uh, Oh, tell me some of his stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I can't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, yeah. Can we go into a private room or something? But yeah, yeah it was, uh, I think not, I I'm did. I did attempt to tell him. It's so awkward when someone's. Got you tried s- to do grape drink. Yeah, and, yeah, when someone's got scissors next to your head, and then you say no. So they ask yeah. you to do something, and you say no. I don't want to. <laughs> you kind of have to. You kind of have to do it. Anyway, I've got a new hairdresser now. So, Glenn, if I had to guess what you were like at school, uh, and I yeah. do, because it's the first format point of the show, um, what I've written is, first things first, son of a Board of Governors member. Then I've put mayor of the school. I know that's not a job, <laughs> but most of the time that I'm with you, you seem like you're the mayor of the situation. So maybe what I mean is that you were in some kind of um, student political position. I can certainly imagine you what doing What do you mean mayor, mayor of the situation? What, uh, what on earth does that... You can't just say that and then move on. You can't drop that hand grenade. Uh, I also mayor. think... Sorry. I also think that you were likely to have written some comedy sketches with your mates in sixth form for fun, maybe a student magazine, or even if you had the resources, try to set up a student news broadcast that parodied both the news and the teachers. And the final point... <laughs> the final point is... <laughs> a, taking a sideways look at biology... <laughs> Exactly. And the final point is um, oddly good at cross country. Uh, Are any of those things true? Uh, Cross country, I was pretty good at, but not great. The board of governors thing couldn't have been more incorrect. Yeah. Um, My my dad works at like an electrics engineering sort of company. Um, And oh, does the school have lights? Does the school have lights? Yes, it does, but not as a direct result of my dad. Ah, um, and uh, what else? What else? What else? I was not the mayor of any sort of situation. I did write my first comedy sketch at school, but that was part of a. It was part of English literature um, where we had to. Um, we were put into pairs and we had to interview, pretend to interview a famous author. So me and a, a friend of mine, Adnan Ahmed, were were chosen to write about Robert Louis Stevenson. And so we did it as a Parkinson interviewer. I was Parkinson and he was Robert Louis Stevenson. And we found that um, he had some really oddly named people in his life. Like I think his, his wife was named Fanny and his uh, his nurse when he was a kid. Um, I think her surname was Cummingham. And so he she was called Cummy. C U M Y, which for like a 16, 17 year old boy. To a 16 it was no, but what, what but what what we did as part of this sketch was I would say, um, and so you were brought up by your nurse, uh, Cummy. How did that nickname come about? And then Adnam uh, playing Robert Louis Stevenson would say, uh, well, there are a few incidents, a few sexy incidents. And then he'd sort of like jiggle in his seat. <laughs> and then the next line was I was like, and you're you married a woman called Fanny, how did she get that name? And then he said, There are a few incidents, a few sexy incidents, and then he sort of jiggled again. And we lost our shit right <laughs> yeah now. I, that is like it when i was 16 i was like <laughs> i think i think there's a career <laughs> i think there's a career in this but like that was that felt great because he like to be fair even like the, te- the teacher she laughed at it but i think she was laughing at just how bad the writing was and how how good we thought it was because we just felt like oh it, it, it was so great it was called uh the robert Louis stevenson the monkey behind the man <laughs> those are the only bits I remember about absolutely really I mean it's such a 16 year old sketch and I can absolutely picture the raucous response it would get in a classroom mm. it's just the context isn't it it's going he, he said that at school in a lesson 
just getting away with shit people just think you're a fucking genius the name cummy is not an is not a feasible name so like even like if i'd if i'd read the name cummy now i would have laughed because that's just yeah fanny and cummy you, you, you would that. find it funny but the sexy yeah, incident of the little dance thing there's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a few sexy incidents good god okay are any other things true so you weren't mayor of the school but did you run for any kind no of- in fact i i'd go as far as to say i couldn't have less authority in any situation i'm in yeah so no i that's another thing so it's weird okay maybe what i mean is you're running for mayor of the school it was like you, you oh so unsuccessfully running for mayor yeah you've got a mayor get like fewer votes i somehow get fewer votes than like the joke candidate who's called like don't vote for Raj and everyone still votes for Raj because they think it's really funny. You may be, what, what would happen to you is you would run a campaign that was built on, you know, good humor, good ideas, um, but mm. you would have not enough authority for it to resonate with anyone. And then when people got to the polling booth, <laughs> your name was weirdly just not on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about, uh, but what are, were there any kind of student political situations like, like head boy type thing, or maybe even prefect? No, I was uh, I was a prefect. There, there were about ten people who were selected to run for head boy, and I wasn't one of them. Um, I and they were like interviewed sort of quite extensively, and then there were prefects and mentors. Um, and so I started off as a mentor, and then I became a prefect. But I don't I don't remember really even attempting to exert any authority. I think I just enjoyed the the badge. So was your vibe at school pretty? Were you pretty happy to blend into the background? Not sort of blend into the background. I remember I, I I I I kind of flitted around various sort of social groups. There wasn't really one dedicated like absolute right. This is a group of three friends who were just like this. It's always us. We we do everything together. I just sort of moved around the three. It was, it was a very uh, it was a very friendly school. There wasn't really sort of any sort of um, uh, issues or anything. So it was quite it was quite easy to sort of flit around. But I don't. Uh, yeah, I re- I I I reckon now. I wouldn't be easily recognised at like a, a school like reunion or get together. I think I'd have to remind people that I went to school with them. <laughs> <laughs> really? You think so? Oh, fuck. So you think you're someone who would really be taking the name badge and putting it pretty centrally so that people can see Glenn, Glenn. I think Moore. so. Yeah. And we've also a couple of like, it would be like, hi, my name is Glenn brackets. And remember that time? Like I'd have to have a few. <laughs> <laughs> of like specific things that i did that would make in the way that yeah. um if you work in a supermarket it says ask me for help you would have ask me how you know yeah me. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let me remind you of that time during class civ yeah oh mate well fair enough did that manifest manifest itself in any kind of creativity for example maybe a student magazine or a student news broadcast <laughs> no we didn't have anything like that i was uh, at, at uni i was the newsreader on the on the student uh tv channel forge tv um and i wrote a few bits for the student newspaper as well but one was like I, the only article i ever wrote for a student newspaper was uh, a review of a battle of the bands um and i got <laughs> the, the evening was very heavily delayed and i got so drunk at the event that i slept on a sofa in the back of the room missed the whole thing and obviously this being like 2009 for information of the battle of bands just wasn't available anywhere online because <laughs> there was like 50 people there so i just had to like make up the bands and <laughs> make up like who won knowing that like well well, no one's going to read this and no one's going to complain i mean that's fucking ridiculous so, so no, yeah i know and i then worked professionally as a journalist for a fair few years yeah, and this so is that, how that your journalism career began it was yeah. entirely with you yeah. fictionalizing a fucking i mean completely like not even like oh you misquoted this person no i made someone up but you, you can't slander someone if they're made up what was your student newspaper called that was the Forge Press. So the whole the whole oh, media right. hub was called Forge. Forge Media. Yes, yeah, so this is the University of Sheffield, so it was all very metal and iron work related. So there's Forge TV, Forge Radio, and the Forge Press. I actually, as you said that, I can picture the studio at the University of Sheffield Radio because I think I went on there once um, to be interviewed when doing a Sheffield gig when I was at university. I, the first time I ever saw you, the first time I ever saw you was a, a Sheffield gig. I saw you perform at a Sheffield gig. Um, Chortle Student Comedy Award 2010. I was in the audience. Uh, Joe Lysett was the, the headline act having won the competition the previous year. Um, I remember it vividly. I, 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 yeah, that, that, was, that was one of my first experiences of like live stand-up comedy was you. I believe I didn't get through. I can see why if that was one of your first experiences of live comedy, you thought, I could probably do this. <laughs> this, this doesn't look that hard. <laughs> Well, better than that. Um, I remember that mm-hmm. night. And also that gig was famous, that Sheffield gig. It was in the student union, wasn't it? That was famous, that gig, among yeah. the uh, student c- comedy um, community for being the best mm. 
student gig there is oh i did i vended the Todd student comedy award the next year in that room and um that was the first gig i ever did it's still on youtube um it was the first gig i ever did and it was absolutely probably still the best gig i've ever done it was i i remember every single bit of that gig it's just crazy. To, just to let listeners know, room. the Chortle Student Comedy Award is an award that haunts comedians for years after because the video clips exist online. So it's one of the first things you do when you start doing comedy. And yet the video mm. clips exist online forever. Glenn is maybe the only comedian I ever met who is like, go check out my Chortle clip. It's, it's the best gig I've ever had no, in my life. I don't, I don't, no, no. As in like, I stand by it. I still stand by it. But it's like, okay, that was my f- I want people to know that it was my first gig because that is not said on the video and i need people to know that was the first ever time i'd done on, i'd gone on stage to perform stand-up comedy um but that that room was absolutely magical in fact i went back there a couple of years ago to um there was this uh there was this improv group at the university that i used to be part of and uh, i went back a couple uh, about a year ago just to, i think i was doing a, a corporate gig in sheffield and i thought i'll swing by the student union and see you know just see see how much it's changed and i saw that there was this gig happening that evening for the improv group i used to be in and i was like oh my god it, it start also it starts well before my gig so i think i might just pop along and see and so i started queuing up and the guy who ran the improv group he i'd met him before because he'd come to one of my edinburgh shows and he came up to me and he was like what are you, what are you doing here and i was like oh, I'm, I'm doing a gig tonight so i was just wanting uh, i thought i'd come and see the show and he went oh sorry mate we're sold out i went right um can i like stand at the back and he was like no i'm really really sorry and i was like oh okay um no fine fine and he was like anyway gotta go we've started having like um a stand-up comedian who just sort of warms up the crowd before it starts but um he's dropped out so we're gonna have to start the show early anyway (laughs) bye and i was stood there just like it was like the end of dumb and dumber and it was like okay what (laughs) what is it like i'm 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 asking if i could come in to see the show i will happily please let, let, let me on stage please and so i just got turned away from this gig and he was and he was like oh god the other guy's gonna be really disappointed to find out that you couldn't get in and it was like yeah yeah you're the only barrier to me <laughs> oh mate that's fucking ridiculous yeah, you didn't think to um to show your uh alumni card or anything like that and go sh- show your degree and say actually i think you're fine i'm the fucking reason this exists i i, no, but I put he, in the he, groundwork he, knew he, 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 he oh he literally from, oh right he actually re- remembered he, he, he'd seen me do an edinburgh show before he like he's he knows i used to be in the improv oh group. this is a billion times ruder than i thought it was oh it's, yeah yeah <laughs> it is so bad yeah so when you so this all came at university so you were doing improv at university you then started doing comedy not that improv isn't comedy but you know um you then uh, yeah. <laughs> you, you finally mm. tried to get a laugh um and then you <laughs> you were writing for the student paper you were reading the goddamn news um yeah and you say that when you were 16, you were writing your first sketches with friends that you had to do in yes. English. Um, what about a bit earlier yeah. than that? Were you doing any creative stuff uh, earlier than that? Yeah, I thought I was just like this child prodigy of creative writing. And um, my parents, in an effort to keep me and my sister busy, every time I like, went on a family holiday or something, we would still, for like an hour every morning, have to do like some maths exercises or like an hour's creative writing and write a story for no reason at all. Um, and then they at would school, do your parents, like, your, your parents would make you do that. Yeah, on holiday, like next to the pool, we'd have to just do maths for like an hour. See, I remember, insane. I remember being on holiday with my parents and being made to write diary entries about the holiday. Oh, we had to do that as well. Yeah, and I'd be like, "Well, I, I can just reminisce in my head. Like, why do you need me to write?" any of this information but yeah, and the having, thing is i remember thinking at the time like oh god to think when i was 10 years old i found that such a chore i'd find that a chore now if someone said write a diary entry of your day no fuck off no <laughs> i can't it hurts it hurts my hands so much to just hold a pen i haven't held a pen for so long that it's agony to write my own name so you you had to do maths and creative yeah. writing. They were the two things. And occasional diaries. They were really just like covering yeah. each side of the brain, essentially. So it was, it must yeah, have been, yeah, yeah. was the idea that you would develop while still on holiday, not necessarily I within so. school. I think, I think my parents just didn't want me and my sister to be, to have too much fun. There was still a limit. You know, it's like, I know we're on holiday, but come on. What sort of creative mm. stuff would you write when you're on holiday? I'd be given like a sentence and my dad, like there was, my, my dad had a really good sort of sense of humor about it and had a very sort of like look around you sort of sense of humor in terms of just writing giving inset like it was like a day in the life inside a policeman's helmet or something about you just had to write it oh or like, wow fade ev- but it would be stuff like that. i mean you just have to write a story based on that so or, or it'd be like a historical event and so you had to write about world war one or something and just write anything on that did you have to read them out 
He only ever, mar- no, my dad would then like mark them, but he would only ever mark down. It was more just like a spelling exercise, more anything. So he would make a note of like grammatical errors and spelling errors and stuff like that. But I don't think he ever questioned the creativity or like what the storyline was. Because I remember once he gave me Alcatraz and I remember I'd read a book about Alcatraz when I was about eight. And um, I remember misreading a bit where it said like Al Capone was one of the residents of Alcatraz. And I didn't realize that resident in this context meant prisoner. So I thought Al Capone like ran Alcatraz. And so it was like some like Bond villain Arkham Asylum sort of thing where like, oh, he, you know, he's got all the bad guys in his prison. And that's so I, I wrote I wrote this whole story where um, where Al Capone was like the head of Alcatraz and Machine Gun Kelly was like his right hand man. And my dad did not question it. But also, I don't know what my dad's grasp of history is. So I think my dad might have been like, fuck, is that true? <laughs> your, da- your dad going into pub quizzes the next day. Go. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you who bloody runs Alcatraz for nothing. It's Al Capone and Machine Gun Kelly. I mean, that is yeah. mental. Yeah, the only guy, the only guys who escaped from Alcatraz were just too scared of being criminals. <laughs> your dad essentially was trying to use you to get cliff notes on things that you had read, but you were just yeah. you were a fucking idiot because you were a child. <laughs> <laughs> so you were just feeding him absolute nonsense. Oh man, yeah, Al Capone, Alcatraz. But I think I was. That's such an exciting yeah, um, a, bit of was... language for a child. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was all, but all everything I wrote involved guns and explosions. That's all I could get my head around was guns and explosions. And so, but also I was so heavily influenced by whatever I'd most recently seen. So like when, for instance, like I saw Titanic for the first time when I was about like seven, I I lost my mind at it. I mean, it was like right, I need to write a story about a ship sinking. That's the trick to see. And it was like, no, write a different thing. Obviously it makes sense to write a completely different thing. But in my head, I was all I could think about was writing stories about boat sinking. And I, and I was determined to write like a movie about a boat sinking. And I was like, well, it needs to be on a bigger scale than Titanic. So what's bigger scale than a, a ship sinking in the Atlantic? And I had this idea of a ship sinking in lava and it was a ship that had <laughs> sailed like into a volcano and the idea in the movie it was going to be me as like the main hero and emma bunton she was going to be like for the kate winslet sort of role and at the end we were going to escape from the the ship uh, from a, a helicopter dangling a chain that we sort of gripped onto and then uh, because we weighed too much I'd, I'd then have to like fall off the chain into the lava which is exactly how terminator 2 ends um, <laughs> and so it would end with me sinking into the lava and then that was that was the end of it uh, and i think i still just called it titanic <laughs> I think it was still just called Titanic, but it was. <laughs> I mean, but it was, and the thing, I, 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 yeah, and I feel ashamed to even tell you because, like, uh, Reese, you're a good friend, and I wouldn't have even told you that in confidence. Yet I'm telling you this on your <laughs> on a podcast. Why don't we go into the first piece? So I believe, correct me if I'm wrong. You've got some short stories. I have, yeah. Now, with this first one, we're not going to tell, I'm not going to tell you what it's about because it's got sort of a twist halfway, not halfway through, but a, a twist quite early on, which just upends, the, the, the rug is pulled out from under your feet. I can't wait. Now, tell me first, okay. before we, a bit of context. This one's called The Accident. And it's you are- the, I was given the title, The Accident. Oh, this is one of the ones that you were given the title for by your dad? I'm certain I was given this one, yeah. Okay, cool. So it's The Accident. And I'm going to assume, based on previous, that The Accident is the name of an Oscar-winning film that you've just nicked and then written something else about. But let's go for it. Just (laughs) you wait. (laughs) You're going to lose your mind at the twist. Okay. There were three gangsters and just one of me. (laughs) (laughs) Strong start. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a great start to a book. Um, I ducked behind some crates as they all got their Tommy guns out and started shooting. Flammable liquid poured from the crates and onto the floor. That could come in handy, I thought to myself and grinned. I ni- can, also, can I just stress, that never ever comes up again. <laughs> Great. Flammable That's liquid funny. that I thought was going to be handy never ever comes up. I needed to get away from these gangsters as quickly as possible. I was in deep trouble, but I found a gun on the floor and started shooting at the gangsters. I guess you weren't expecting me to have one of these, I shouted as I killed one of them. His gangster hat went rolling along the floor and rested <laughs> at my feet. I had, the sec- <laughs> I had the second gangster in my sights and looked forward to killing him. I had the up <laughs> I had the upper hand, but then one of the gangsters pulled two electrical cables from the wall and started using them like whips. One of them burst the crate I was sat behind. I quickly rushed behind a red Plymouth, thinking about how lucky I was as I nearly got hit by another electric whip. I must have waited too long, because the second gangster suddenly appeared at my left hand side. He raised his Tommy gun to my head. Showtime, he yelled. My life flashed before my eyes and I fired two shots. One was in his arm and the other was in his head. Two down, one to go, I thought to myself. 
I went to fire my gun at the gangster with the electrical whips, and my throat went dry when I felt the gun click. I'd run out of bullets. No, I moaned. I thought quickly and threw my gun at the final gangster. Didn't even stop to see if I'd hit him. I ran upstairs and was outside. I breathed a sigh of relief, but that relief turned to shock when I remembered I wasn't safe at all. In fact, I couldn't have been less safe because I was on board the Titanic and it was sinking. <laughs> Oh my god, you're obsessed. What was it sinking in? Lava. <laughs> it was do you know what? When I unearthed this the other day, I'd completely forgotten what the second half was, so I was writing the first half and it did come as much of a shock to me as it did to you when it was revealed. Oh fuck he's on the Titanic. <laughs> that twist. I mean and, it was and then we sinking. zoom out to but reveal. Also I thought I was so clever having these like nineteen forties gangsters having a shootout with these sort of Avengers Assemble esque electrical whips. Um, with, it doesn't with really yeah. sentences like sh- showtime two down one to go and deep trouble like those are things that kids think grown-ups say yeah and like that you've never ever said in your actual life it doesn't uh, okay um, this is when it, uh, just this sorry is when just it going back sorry. just going back i just uh, i yeah. just want to say yeah it is actually a huge twist because um in the story of the titanic the whole gangster shootout thing doesn't come up very much does it we mostly focus on the no, whole ship but... sinking aspect of it but who knows about all yeah, the other but politics it, but because they, well there's, this is this is covered i think um in a moment in a moment it, 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 yeah so here we go because i was on board the titanic and it was sinking i remembered the vessel had hit the iceberg moments before my fight with the gangsters <laughs> the priorities of this narrator <laughs> hey you gotta when you gotta kill gangsters you gotta kill gangsters okay there was chaos everywhere <laughs> <laughs> people were running screaming fighting for their lives the lifeboats were crowded of passengers and with so many people the captains couldn't tell who was rich and who was poor and who should get in the lifeboats first they continued to cry women and children first men continued to barge themselves onto the lifeboats ignoring the pleas i was embarrassed to say i wanted to do the same i looked out at the carnage dozens of drowned people as far as the eye could see but there was no time to look at everything. With that, the ship split in half, sending me and thousands of passengers up into the air. The other half crashed into the sea and immediately sank, sucking thousands of passengers underwater. I even saw a boat full of children <laughs> get pulled beneath the waves. <laughs> God. Boat, boat, full, boat full of children. Um, oh, this is... Oh, okay, this, this gets really screwed up. Uh, their bodies would later be discovered by divers who thought the dead bodies were dolls and sold them. <laughs> Oh my I God! <laughs> yeah. Fucking hell! I can't Do you know even... what? Can I? I know. I know why I put that in there, and it was specifically because in 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 the movie Titanic, uh, which obviously which which was a bit of an inspiration for this particular piece. Um, there, there's a bit where when Bill Paxton and his crew are looking at like the wreckage of the Titanic, there's a bit where a light shines over like a doll's head, and it's got like both the eyes missing, and it's like a doll's head. As a kid, I thought that was like the body of a child like a dead body um oh, like perfectly preserved under the water and i remember telling my parents and then being like no that's a doll and then i was like oh man maybe someone else could have made that mistake and sold these dolls and then they later find out they were dead body and so like that so there's a whole different story in so, there so yeah you put which this I, horrific I image just one sentence it's, I mean, it's, it's horrible it's, isn't it there's depth to it though it's 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 dark it's deep i mean it's fuck me it's i mean it, yeah it I I, yeah, I can't imagine is less, uh, you saying something that dark now, let alone as a fucking ten year old. Yeah, while at the side of a pool, while at the side of a pool in Corfu. <laughs> um, By the I, way, on on the the most relaxed time of your year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is what's going through your head. Christ. Okay, right here we. This is so it's gonna it escalates even from there. I tried to climb the ship as high as I could. Bear, bear in mind the ship's now split in two. So the, the, this side is now vertically in the air. I'm, this is subtext. Um, it felt like trying to climb a building. Dozens of passengers lost their grip and plummeted past me. One hit the propeller as he fell down. That's specifically from the film, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I winced and tried not to look. It was nearly impossible to hold on. And just as I felt like I would fall off, the ship crashed back into the water. We were safe for now. Or so I thought. 
The huge chimneys that funneled smoke and steam into the air were loose and started to fall. I managed to dodge two of them. They crashed into the water that had started to flood the deck and sent salt seawater over all of us. I was drenched but didn't care. All I cared about was getting out of the dreadful situation and being able to tell my, li- tell my wife what had happened. At least I still had a wife. Some on the ship weren't so lucky. With that, a man came rushing up to the group of us who were huddled on the deck. He was yelling, My wife just got hit by one of the chimneys. There's blood everywhere. He walked away. She must have had a lot of guts, I said. Nobody laughed. We stayed. <laughs> oh, what an insensitive joke. What an insensitive thing to say. Um, we also, I, like the idea that this man came rushing on and went, my wife got hit by one of the chimneys, there's blood everywhere. And then he just walks away. Um, <laughs> How's he walking? Because aren't you trying to climb up a pretty much vertical half of a ship? Uh, no, I don't know if you noticed shit, uh, Reese, but the ship crashed back oh, into the sorry, water. Oh, sorry, I apologise. Uh, which prompted me to say we were, sa- we were safe, dot, 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 for now. Um, we, so, uh, nobody laughed. We stayed on the ship until it had sunk far enough below the surface that we couldn't see the deck anymore. We were going to drown. I could feel it. It was too late to regret not getting in the lifeboats. The water was up to our necks and there was nobody to rescue us. I'd given up hope as the water started to fill my mouth when a strong pair of hands gripped me and threw me onto a lifeboat. I thank the the lifeguard. (laughs) (laughs) Lifeguards run lifeboats. I thank the lifeguard over and over again. I was saved and could go back home finally, but I'd seen so much death and destruction that I would never forget my time on the Titanic. I mean, fuck me. There's so much to unpack. First question. All right, is, yeah, where do we begin? Yeah, yeah, go So ahead. you're telling me your dad read that and all he did was correct a couple of spelling mistakes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, a couple of things I need to uh, ask you about. It takes, after all of this that's gone on, it mm. takes the deck going underwater for you to have the slightest yeah. of inklings that you might drown. <laughs> you suddenly go... Well, yeah, because before we were gonna then, drown. I was I occupied tell. with the gangsters. The gangsters <laughs> were there and were, you know, taking up a lot of my time. Um, oh, but you've already been third, through it where you've... gangster. You've climbed up to the top of this ship when it's vertical, watched people plummet yeah. past you, and at no point had you yeah. thought you were going to drown. And then suddenly the ship crashes back down and starts to sink, and then you go, oh, I reckon I've got a feeling we might drown today. It takes so long well, if, for that to go through the narrator's head. In my defence, I reckon in the back of my mind, me being the main character, I reckon in the back of my mind, I was thinking about that third gangster with the electrical whips. Yeah. Um, and at the time, I probably didn't know the effect electricity had on water. So, like, he is screwed. <laughs> he is absolutely, like, he is out of the picture. Well, there's another um, point, actually. And, the electrical whips. Now, yeah. is that you pandering to your dad? Are you just trying to get him on side as a reader, knowing that he's the audience? knowing it suits his line of work for you to be talking about he picked these electrical cables is this come on is this pandering i think do you know what maybe i think maybe that was me trying to be a grown-up because i used to listen to like whenever we went to visit like my grandparents or, or hearing my dad talk to any of his friends they would talk about work and i would zone out and in my head i thought they i thought grown-ups just talked about wires and cables i genuinely thought that's all they spoke about and just like you've got this plug socket and you put it into that socket that's all i thought they spoke that's all i could ever glean um so i think maybe that was me sort of going and i've added a bit of science in there so uh, for the grown-ups um i cannot believe there's so much stuff that i just forget in that like the flammable liquid pouring from a crate that could come in handy i thought to myself and grinned and then that's just it well that's maybe that plays into the twist because it's like that could come in handy it's a men it's meant to be leading us down a certain path like oh the twist is going to be that he then uses that and that's how he saved himself no the twist is they're on the fucking titanic and it's already hit an iceberg do you know what also reese bear in mind i warned you there was a twist yeah so you were like each my my dad would have read that blindly and he would have just he would have taken not even like a quadruple check. He would have like he would have just reread that about eleven times, being like, "Sorry, did I miss something in the gangster battle?" Glenn, there's no way that your dad didn't drop the book every time he tried to read it. <laughs> every single time he picked up that book, he got to that sentence, dropped it, would pick it up, start again. I imagine he dropped the book upwards of six times. Uh, you know how when people pitch a film, they'll often say, "Oh, it's like mm. Alien meets the Goonies," or they'll say something like that. Yeah, this is Titanic meets the Mask. Right, that's exactly what this is. You're clearly influenced by the mask. You're saying Tommy Gun a lot. Tell yeah, me, tell yeah, me that yeah, you know Tommy Gun, gun from I knew about, but also I knew gangsters use them. So that's all I could. Uh, yeah, that was the. And also, the, the language is quite mask esque of you know two down, one to go, and showtime. showtime. Oh, he does say showtime. I think the mask says showtime. Yeah, showtime. But I thought that was like one of the. Uh, as a I kid, love I that, thought um, showtime was one of the coolest really, things you could say. Yeah, it, definitely, it really undermines. Um, 
I mean, this is true. The detail you put in this is true. But the phrasing you use really undermines their profession when you just say, his gangster hat rolled towards me. It really makes... Yeah. We don't know what it's called. It's more alarming if as a nine-year-old I knew the word trilby. No, of course. so much more. It would have been more on brand. More on brand, certainly. But (laughs) definitely, like, more alarming for a kid. You're Um, right. I think I I I used to say showtime a lot. I think think every time I went to, like, another kid's party when I was about eight, I think I used to say showtime before I went into the party. I think... I, I think uh, it was like a word I was like obsessed with. Did anyone ever hear you and then call you out on it? Or was it uh, sort of all eight-year-olds are doing that? No, because I think there was almost like this Truman Show uh, arrogance that I probably had as a kid that I was like, well, someone is viewing, somewhere someone is viewing this and is, is able to assess how cool I am. Showtime to a camera that isn't there as you walk into a party <laughs> yeah. you were invited to by default. Fair enough. Well, that is fucking <laughs> mental. Um, the guts gag is uh, ridiculous probably my first ever joke i reckon you don't really do dark stuff you i mean this i do is really... a lot of jo- no i don't i don't know i do a lot of jokes that are about uh dying or funerals they're always absurd they're never like bleak or anything like that but i think because i come across as quite a polite sort of person on stage i think audiences have quite a low threshold for it so if ever i even mention a word like funeral they go oh yeah go, no right. I just, no that's not that's actually not Glenn, I, I, should, I should rephrase what i said which is uh i should say you don't really do dark stuff in public because we know each other uh, yeah yeah <laughs> we, we we've, do, shared we some, we've shared some dark jokes that we wouldn't uh, ever yeah we know, we, we know we know about the file on my phone of jokes i can't tell <laughs> yeah exactly um fair enough have you got any others you got another story yeah i've got this fucking thing right here. this is this, so this was from this was from school um and we had to we had to write about bullying um and so this is a hard-hitting look, my attempt at hard-hitting look at bullying. Um, and I, I was inexplicably, I never experienced bullying at school. I was never on either side of it. And I should have been. Um, and I, I never was. So my, my uh, so this is written completely blindly from a perspective of like a 10-year-old who has no idea how bullying actually manifests. So this is, this is, uh, this is poor stuff. Does this have um, a title? This doesn't have a title. This doesn't have a title as far, okay. as, as, far as I remember. Um, okay, so... Uh, right, so bear in mind, this is written for school, so a teacher, a teacher had to write this. Had to read this, sorry. Okay, so I think uh, another profound opening sentence. Another day, another day of bullying. Michael was <laughs> sick of it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Another day, another dollar for some. Another day, another bullying for others. Deep. <laughs> Michael was sick of it. Just because his friend Christopher didn't like football, he got hit every day. Just because Christopher had his shirt tucked in like he was supposed to, he got thrown into lockers. Christopher knew deep down he wasn't sad, but when everyone called him a saddo every day, it made him think maybe he was. Well, today, Michael was going to scare those bullies and give them a taste of their own medicine. Not with strength or with punches, but with a weapon. Michael had gone into his dad's basement and chosen one of the guns. <laughs> fucking hell glenn i mean every fuck every story <laughs> this time it was a tommy gun he looked at the bully also, and said bit- showtime motherfucker <laughs> there, there's this real americanification in everything i must have written as a kid where it's all about locker rooms and basements and stuff that we never encountered um and and gangsters it, 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 i i i think i read purely goosebumps books when i was a kid so it was all it was always all these books about living in a suburban neighborhood in a sort of single parent household where it was always halloween and everyone was trick-or-treating and i never had any experience of this sort of stuff but i would still write about it because i was like because that's it that's what i've been taught is interesting um so uh michael had gone into his dad's basement and chosen one of the guns bazooka too messy gun just right (laughs) say that again sorry bazooka too messy gun just right yeah so bazooka question mark too messy gun question mark just right so it's very much like a goldilocks and the three bears he's found the perfect weapon on the second try extensive his dad's extensive military collection so guns just right Michael and Christopher met after school and knew the bullies would blot their way home the plan was Michael would get his gun out Michael and Christopher walked one after the other on their way home and were nervous but excited about defeating the bullies. They were in the woods when they heard the bullies jump down from a tree. Hello, Sado, said one of the bullies. 
Shut up, you stupid bastard, said Christopher. But it just made the bullies laugh harder. It wasn't fair. Do you miss your mum, said one of the bullies to Michael. Michael remembered that his parents got divorced when he was a teenager. When he was a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> He's in like tertiary education. <laughs> I mean, Glenn, I've got to say, that's almost a bigger twist than the Titanic one. That, that's an insane twist. He's, he's in, he's in his very youngest in his 20s. He must be in his 20s. And he's, this is I, school. I had, again, I think it's from Goosebumps books. I had, even though the name completely makes sense, I had no idea what a teenager meant. I just knew that people said teenager. I didn't know it meant 13, between 13 and 19. I had no idea. Um so oh, also it, at school we were allowed to in our writing because we'd always ask like are we allowed to swear they'd always say no but we were allowed to say you're allowed to say bastard and you're allowed to say crap so we made full use of both of those uh, and you, uh, you'll see this in just a moment um uh, do you miss your mum said one of the bullies to michael michael remembered that his parents got divorced when he was a teenager he started to get angry but just yelled at the bully oh go lick a crap i don't know what that means crap Uh, crap you you seem to interpret it as you have to include bastard and crap in your story yeah you're allowed yeah exactly go lick a crap is that i've never really heard like a crap like crap is just a a concept you know like i've never heard of one individual crap he knew he had to reach for the gun now slowly but this is a nightmare sentence slowly but swiftly Oh, that classic. Yeah, slowly but swiftly, Michael grabbed the gun from his bag. That isn't a real gun, laughed one of the bullies. Well, if this isn't a real gun, then how do you explain this, grinned Michael as he picked up the bazooka. Christopher grinned and said, you brought the bazooka with you all along. Michael nodded silently and accidentally pulled the trigger. It clicked. It was empty. The bullies laughed even harder. With that, one of the bullies picked up the gun and killed Christopher. Michael screamed as he watched his friend get shot again and again. His shirt used to be white and now it was red. You couldn't tell what were bullet holes and what were shirt buttons. (laughs) His plan had gone so wrong. The bully looked at Michael and said, there's one bullet left. Should I shoot Christopher or shoot you? Michael cleverly said, you should shoot Christopher because Christopher was already dead. But the bully fired at Michael. It didn't hit his heart, but it was enough to kill him. Michael died slowly, but thought to himself, I guess good endings don't happen in real life. That's it. Glenn, is the message of that, that if you're being bullied, just leave it? Yeah, genuinely, <laughs> because we, 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 cause everyone, we'd all been told to write stuff about bullying, and I thought it would be really interesting to, you know, obviously not take the side of the bullies, but have, right, these guys are going to show the bullies who's boss, and it goes wrong, and it goes really, really wrong. Um, so, cause I, I remember, um, one of our teachers, a DT teacher sitting us down in an assembly and saying like, there are lots of like m- people who mug you on the school, on the bus home and stuff like that. Never bring a knife to school or anything like that because they will literally just grab it off you and just stab you. And so I was like, oh, that's, why don't I incorporate that into this? A, a knife was too small, obviously. So this kid had had a bazooka in his Oh yeah, it's not exciting day, for a kid. And a after knife. school brought it out, he brought the gun and the bazooka. There's a lovely little, lovely little bit in there about self-fulfilling prophecies that um, he's not sad, he's called sad, maybe he is sad because he's called sad. Yeah, and I, I, I can't, like, Sado comes up twice, which is so yeah. 90s. But also yeah. I wrote it as, uh, I didn't know how to write Sado because I thought, would it come out as sad do? And so I, I did it as sad <laughs> hyphen O, like a like a cereal, like yeah, like <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> the bleakest cereal imaginable. Uh, right, Glenn, I need to score you now. Score all of your work. Yeah, um, on three categories. The categories are originality, pure teen horniness, and Mickey Mouse Club slash Ryan Gosling Ryan Goose score. Which is how much potential does it show for the star you've gone on to become? How close is it to your work now? Right. So. First of all, on originality, uh, well, I'm slightly conflicted. (laughs) Yeah, but Titanic one falls pretty short, doesn't it? I'm slightly conflicted because I think it's a really original thing to have been writing and they've got pretty insane twists. The fact that that twist is in that story is very original, but a lot of what you wrote is just writing scene descriptions of the Titanic. Some of it, bits of it. No, but I think, but, but, so you've got Jaws and you've got the movie Twister, and if you put them together, you get Sharknado. That's an original film. When talking about Sharknado, would you say yeah. this is a true original? Yeah, 
fully original. There was nothing like Sharknado when Sharknado came out. There was nothing mainstream like Sharknado that was that so many people knew about. That was that low budget, but still aiming so high. I, I kind of get where you're coming from. I think the twist mm. makes it so original. You're clearly influenced by movies, but everyone would be the bazooka, the gun thing. Um, oh, I do find it quite original. Electrical cables, taking electrical cables off the wall to whip people. I mean, oh, writing I don't even that. Know what, I must have been from Power Rangers as a or kid. I don't know that's what, out of, what I, that's what out of nowhere. Stolen that from. Plus the idea that. Um, Licking, licking a crap was quite an original idea. Plus <laughs> the idea that you wrote a thing about bullying for school, and the message of it was: tell no one, do nothing, accept it, or you will be shot to death. <laughs> you will be shot to death. <laughs> and so will your best friend. Yeah. <laughs> Don't so, bring a bazooka uh, to a knife fight. <laughs> I will give you a four out of five. They're all out of five, these categories. Oh, Glenn. great. Yeah. Four I'll out of five that. for originality. Pure teen horniness. Uh, I'd None. say next, next I'd to say. nothing. You're not a teenager for a start. There's very little. I'll give you a one out of five purely on the basis that um, Emma Bunton oh, is yeah. in well, she didn't a different story. This. Not in these, but... It- I think there's negative horniness from the fact that Titanic's quite a horny film. And that side of it doesn't even remotely feature. I've focused purely on just the ship. In fact, yeah. So I'm going to do one for the Emma Bunton thing, which I know wasn't in these stories technically. It was in a different story. But I'm actually going to do a minus one for the image you put in your audience's heads of the dead kid dolls at the bottom of the sea (laughs) that were being sold. It's maybe... You could be the horniest you've been in your life. And if you read that, that would be the antidote to to the horniness. So I'll give you a zero out of five for horniness. Mickey Mouse Club... um, how close is it to your work now? Does it show your potential? Now, it's not similar, but there are gags and little moments of writing that do imply certain things. So I've got to give you some okay. points for that. Also, the opening to, um, I believe it's The Accident, uh, there were three gangsters yeah. and just one of me. That's quite a funny yeah. quite a funny little way of putting something. I think it, it sounds like that was intentional. Um, the rest of it, obviously, is absolutely nothing like you at all. I'll go three out of five for Mickey Mouse Club. So that's seven Great. out of 15 is your score for the episode. Pretty respectable score. Um, I don't think you were aiming Thank for you. Us, So I think you're all right. Now it comes to the time where I have to read you a piece of my early work. Um, I'm a bit older than you were when I wrote this. Uh, I've selected, I always try and select ones specifically for the guest. I've selected things that I think might um, anger you. <laughs> because ah, okay. They're very, they're two, six, I've got two poems. They're very 16 year old attempts at wit and like poetry wit. Already uh, I'm livid. Yeah. Okay. So the first one is called Toilet Humour. Uh, I've got hair in all places, but the farce on my ass is the worst. It's long and it's thin and it travels within. Could it be that my ass has been cursed? But who would expel my excreta? It just doesn't make any sense. For a man not to do what he ought on the loo makes it pointless to go to the gents. <laughs> there you go. That's the first one. Any thoughts? Okay. I hate, not the poem, but I hate <laughs> British twee swearing. Yeah. I don't mean like fuck or anything. I just hate ass. I hate that word so yeah. much because it's so... Me too, by the way. A Bri- it's so British movie that needs to appeal to an American audience. You know, the characters and stuff like... Any any British film is obviously trying to get a, a transatlantic sort of market. So all the characters always go like, where's my sodding keys? And so then you go, no one's ever said sodding. No one says bloody as much as... You think, oh, I just want a bloody crumpet. I've got, I've gone in way too heavy. Sorry. I appreciate it. You, no, 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 there's, no. There's a lot of sort of verbal, there's a lot of verbal, a, a lyrical dexterity there. There's it's- no need to compliment it. I think what I'm trying to do here is I think I'm trying to do a Monty Python. I had, my dad used to, when I was a little kid, my dad used to always play Monty Python's albums. And when it was always yeah. stuff like, um, you know, I've got 50,000 French francs in my fridge and like little things like that. And then they would, they had the penis song that was like all posh men doing like all different words for penis. I think I'm trying to do that with this, uh, but it's about having a hairy bum at 16. And I just, but this is even worse, right? The next one I'm going to read you is even worse. Did you, so did you, did go. you have a hairy bum at 16? 
Yep, oh, I did. Okay. I remember having a hairy ass at 16. Uh, you know, some people, for some people that manifests itself. And you're all the better for it. <laughs> You've never looked back. I mean, it's mad that, yeah, some people would get a hairy ass at 16 and be like, yes, hit puberty. Or they'd be like, uh, oh, I need to sort that out. I thought, well, poetry needs to be written about this. The, the world <laughs> <laughs> needs to hear about this. Okay, this one, I was 17. My kettle's incredibly smug. A pompous and arrogant twit. He'll lean and spit up in a mug and think that makes him Mr. It. He's short-tempered, het up and rude, overconfident, shiny and young. Pushes buttons and he'll blow a fuse, enough so he might burn your tongue. He bubbles and shakes till he steams. He huffs and he puffs and he blows. No whistle, for this kettle screams. I should stick with a pan on the stove. Right, for the benefit of the listener, I'm looking at Glenn on Skype. His head is in his hands. <laughs> no, it's uh, it, because uh, I, 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 I've been there. Is I, I empathise because what's yeah. happened here is you've you've forced yourself to have a writing day and you've sat at the kitchen <laughs> table and you've looked around trying to find something to write about because under no other circumstances would you ever feel inspired to write about a kettle because you it, it I uh, the, the issue I first had again with the twee uh, with the twee thing that we sort of covered a moment ago is is twit I don't think I don't oh, think yeah, you've yeah, ever yeah, said that in oh. in in conversation I've never spoken like this this was this didn't represent my like what i was like at all this is just me yeah trying to, an exercise yeah unfortunately my dad hadn't said right your topic for today is kettles or at least i could justify yeah. <laughs> it slightly uh what it's, it's I, quite because it's not in your voice it's it doesn't really feel like it's in your voice because i'm like why would why is teenage you writing about what what issue could you possibly have with it i think i we, had we, at the time a really a genuinely a really loud kettle that used to piss me off because <laughs> it was just it oh was genuinely just... okay so it did actually come <laughs> think... from a place of anger <laughs> all of these your, come from rage emo song, this is actually, <laughs> my yeah this is, yeah, this my is, emo phase this is, is Tom to... Morello this is your rage against a machine yeah it, it, but it's instead it's calling a kettle a pompous twit that's how uh, that's the sort of upbringing I had um, also I think it might come from when I was a teenager I remember writing a gag as like a 13 14 year old that I thought was genius about how I fell out with my iron because he was too hot and heavy. And I said, look, we need to straighten things out, get things in line. Do you know what he said? Shh. Right. I remember I wrote that joke as a joke when I was like 13 and I thought I'm, I'm the best that's, comedian that's ever lived. But, that's got, but were you were you trying to write jokes at that age or did that was that just a fully formed joke popped into your head? Were you like think, at the age of 13, were you like, I want to write comedy, I want to write jokes? maybe a little bit older 14 15 i was like i was writing loads of loads of gags yeah loads of little gags ter- terrible mad. terrible jokes. i just that is so that i find that really strange i mean interesting that you then it then became your career but like <laughs> yeah, yeah comedy didn't even enter my head until i was about 20 years old i don't think I'd, I'd never even attempted to like write an actual with the exception of obviously that cracking guts one from the titanic but like i'd never tried yeah, so to yours sit down was all instinct. write an actual you just yeah, had it in I don't you. know. Just desperate it, it, anyway. Yeah. So this, whenever I was writing jokes and things when I was younger, it's because I was just desperate to go. I can write jokes. I can write jokes. And I was always writing sketches and shit when I was a kid. Just always, or like, or trying to write sitcom pitches. I would always rope friends into right. like, why don't you come around mine at the weekend and we'll come up with a sitcom. And then like, I'd have a big A3 pad and we'd like try and write characters. But if we did that, most of the time my friends would get bored within ten minutes and go, oh, "Why would I? Why the fuck are we doing this? Do you want to play football?" And then yeah, he'd just be yeah. like, okay, fine, we'll do that. And then I'd be like, how about a sitcom about football? And uh, <laughs> just anything to try and keep them interested. It's, I, I, I get the funny, because I'm, I'm, I'm always trying to, as a teenager, try and, one of my friends had, an, had a, like a decent camera. And we always, I was so determined every, I'd write whole ideas what we could do for funny videos and stuff like that, funny movies we could sort of make. But actually like, writing a, like a joke never, ever crossed my mind. So I find that I'm, I'm, I'm actively impressed by 13 year old you and that and that iron joke because it's, <laughs> wow. there's a fair, because it's not just like it's not it's not even just like a shit pun it's not like that it's like it works there's like two elements to it the, the sh is a topper yeah, yeah the yeah. straighten things yeah. out thing is great yeah so glenn i need you to score my writing on the same three categories as i scored you so first of all the first one is originality out of five now, the, the arse one lets the side down because there's lots of poems about body transformation and body horror and the like, and hair comes up so much that and it made me feel really uncomfortable, certainly when I was growing up. I just hated reading about that sort of thing. I didn't want, I just, it, it always made me realise just how, what weird concept hair is. So arse hair, absolutely not, but also it came, came up quite frequently. Now, the kettle, um, 
is it's not particularly original i think in terms of um having a rant at something that doesn't deserve to be ranted at sure but i've never really heard much or read much literature on kettles anyway um so i'd I'd give you a solid three definitely but red's like three okay i'll yeah yeah i'll take that i'll take that next one is pure teen horniness uh, I'd give that a one. One purely because the... Uh, the uh, no, no, you know what? We're going to bring it up to two. One, you talking about your own ass, it's still an ass. So that, that counts to some <laughs> extent. Yeah, that's where your mind was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. your mind was below the belt to some extent. Then in terms of the kettle, there's so much suppressed rage that you yeah. don't know where to put it. And I feel like you wrote that with a boner and you didn't even know you had... But you, it, it, you, did, you needed to... Uh, get get those words out of your system and it was the only thing you could think to sort of write about and ultimately the steam from the kettle is that not the kettle's own ejaculation there's a lot there's a lot behind that definitely sexual stuff in there so was it oh yeah was it was it about the kettle was it just the fact you're writing in the kitchen you could just see your neighbor openly wanking in the garden <laughs> and that's why you were like well let's make him a kettle in this particular poem <laughs> yeah fuck you know he was yeah he was oh god I mean, there's, yeah, I think, I, I don't know if I was doing that on purpose, but there's a chance I would be, given the sort of, st- given that I was into Python and they were doing all that sort of stuff in their, at, yeah, like, yeah. audio albums, um, there is a chance. So, yeah, so what are you go- what, what are you going out of five then for teen horniness? Can I up that to a four, I think? I have yep. to, that's got to go up to four out of five. Okay, I'll, four out of five. And then the last one is Mickey Mouse Club, Ryan Gosling, Ryan Goose score, the potential it shows for the future me. Uh, that, get, that gets another four out of five for me. I mean, purely because I know it doesn't feature in your work now, but certainly a few years ago in stand-up, you were still doing poems. And even though you don't do poems on stage, really, you anymore, you've you've got that uh, sort of uh, machine gun, very staccato sort of delivery that lended itself well to that poem. And I think informs the way you write now. And also the... You, you, uh, I, I, uh, some of your stuff has that sort of... Um, uh, middle uh, sort of a middle class anger where you're like i want to be angry at something but everything's fine and i've got nothing to get angry about and i think the kettle one really factors in perfectly well to that and so yeah, obviously yeah, i don't yeah, think it's like you right now but on a, certainly on a thematic level but it's 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 reese james through and through if i if someone had said someone one of your friends has written a poem <laughs> and, I didn't know you, and i didn't know you ever did poetry and i had to read it i'd be like that's that's reese i think that's reese <laughs> Yeah, I mean, fair enough. I can't complain about that. Oh, so I, don't, I, I, I don't know why someone has stopped by my front door and taken off their hands. <laughs> I'm afraid one of your friends has written a poem. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So that means that I end up with 11 out of 15, which plays to your 7 out of 15. So I am the winner of the episode. Um, as uh, listeners will know, though, the message of this podcast is that we're both losers. That's the whole point. Glenn, all that is left is for you to yeah. play us out with your final story, uh, which we will produce up and put sound effects under or music, whatever you want, whatever's appropriate. Um, so a bit of context. What story is this? Uh, this is uh, a war story. I must have been about 10 years old, I think. I don't think I'm sure what war it is. Um, there's some levels of research, um, but generally it's quite bad. And as, as you can probably guess, with it being the war, guns feature heavily again. <laughs> great i mean yeah, i'm, I'm excited obsessed. to hear the production put on this because this is a proper war scene as well okay i was I listening you know what when you were reading the other stories i was thinking god isn't it a shame that we're not producing these ones because there's guns everywhere that we could have had splash noises with the titanic we could have had all sorts of stuff in all of them think about the bazooka sound effects we could have used so this a lot oh, of pressure on I, I think there's a moment in this there's a moment in this that is crazier than anything in the other two incredible okay it was the middle of World War I, and Michael was fearing for his life. His whole platoon's trenches had been discovered, and the Germans were picking them off one by one. There was no way out, and now there was a rumour the Germans were going to wipe them out with one colossal attack. Michael knew he didn't have enough bullets in his Lee Enfield 303 rifle to murder all of them, so his platoon would really have to help him out. That's a bit of research there, isn't it? The sergeant had gathered the platoon to tell them the plan. Listen up, he barked. The Germans are attacking us at some point today, but the problem is, we don't know when. Paul, Steve, he pointed as two soldiers by those names ran off. I want you to cover the sandbags. He pointed at Michael, whose heart sank. Michael, I need you to... A mighty explosion cut off the sergeant. Mortars, he yelled. One whistling missile came down into the guard tower nearby with an almighty crash. 
That's spelled B-W-C-C-C-H-H-H-R-R-R-R. So that's about 12 letters without any vowels. It seemed to cry as it sent splinters all over the place. Steve cried as splinters rammed into his face. He was dead right in front of me. It goes first person for a second. The sergeant... The sergeant went to go back to talking, but his face was etched in shock. He seemed to choke and splutter as the top of his head slid off in front of the horrified soldiers. Most of them had never seen an X movie, and now they were starring in one. Michael had to think on his feet. Thinking fast and knowing the Germans were nearly here, he grabbed some bottles of whiskey. What are you doing, cried Paul. We're about to get killed and you're going to drink whiskey? Trust me, Michael winked. He started throwing the bottles of whiskey into the German trench, but was careful not to be spotted. They waited patiently. Michael heard the Germans laughing. He knew enough German to hear that the Germans thought he'd accidentally thrown whiskey instead of grenades, and now they were drinking the whiskey to celebrate. Michael smirked to himself. His plan was working. Paul still didn't understand and asked Michael why he threw the whiskey away. Trust me, things are going to go out with a bang, Michael said. On Michael's counter three, the platoon stood up and aimed their rifles into the German trench. Aim for the tummies, said Michael. (laughs) They fired their guns and could not have imagined what happened next. The whiskey was flammable, and because the Germans had drunk it, a single bullet in each of them caused an almighty bang. Michael watched in shock as all of the Germans exploded before his very eyes. He walked back to his trench with a spring in his step, feeling the bits of Germans' clothes and blood hitting the top of his head. If he didn't know better, it felt quite pleasant. There were going to be more battles and the war was only halfway through, but Michael knew he'd earned a rest. Fuck. So that, that's how it ends. He knew he'd earned a rest. That is how it is. Literally, that's it. That's it. Yeah. He blows up the Germans one by one by shooting at their stomachs because they drank whiskey. Because they had whiskey thrown into their trenches and they just went, I will drink this immediately. Yeah, they know because they said, oh, those idiots, they're throwing whiskey instead of grenades. Ah, well, we've clearly won this one. But uh, stupid. Honestly, the British were just creating blunder after blunder like that in the First World War. (laughs) Well, I suppose the propaganda that that you'd see of the British now that's international is Mr. Bean. So you would just think, (laughs) (laughs) if there was a war today, you'd go, well, they're all Mr. Bean over there. They don't know what's going on. Yeah, yeah, I was was raised on a series of German propaganda posters from 1916, (laughs) and that, that really influenced a lot of my writing. There's some uh, themes to your writing, Glenn, that are, have emerged, which are guns and explosions. Is, is guns one of them? Guns and explosions, yep. Um, insane plans. Insane <laughs> plans come up in your things It's so crazy it might just work. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, ridiculous twists. Obviously, it doesn't quite compare to the twist of, um, by the way, zoom out, we're on the Titanic. Uh, but there's also, also the twist I, of... I just don't know where I got that plan from. The whiskey, th- I don't know what I could possibly have seen that would make me think that that's, that I decided that's the science behind whiskey. I just don't, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think because also I, I obviously had an obsession of, because flammable liquid, you'll remember, turned up in the Titanic one because when the gangsters shot, the crates of a Tommy guns, flammable liquid came out. So actually maybe this is a really the same man. Is it the same man? About two years ago. <laughs> it's the same character. So when he's saying that could yeah, come in handy. It. Yeah. And he finally, it turned out the flammable did. liquid did come in handy. Oh my God. I mean, do, the timeline, oh imagine do the timelines add up. Let's try and work it out. The timelines, um, do, the timelines do add up. They uh, do. I'd have up. to be Michael because it's first person in a Titanic, but yeah, because the Titanic was what? 1912 or something. And then World War One starts a couple of years after that. Now, all we've got to do is try and figure out when you've set the bullying story, because he's also Michael. Yeah, well, there's there's uh, there's grenades. No, there's grenades. There's a bazooka. There's a gun. Sado. There's there's. Uh, I think there's th- th- that term wasn't really doing the rounds um, in the. In well, the, actually, in let's the think 19-teens. about it. So, that, so the, the 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 bullying story is the end of the of Michael's story because he dies in oh, it. Fuck, fuck. But what, but what did we learn? What did we learn about Michael? Michael was a teenager. So Michael is no longer a teenager. So there's a chance that Michael is 90 years old. Yeah. And the bullying story happens at some old people's higher education learning establishment where he's being <laughs> bullied. Um, and for some reason, he's still got access to his dad's basement um, where there were bazookas and guns. Um, a simpler time. So there's, a ch- there's, no- there's nothing that doesn't add up. It and could, also, it could feasibly be true. It explains how he knows how to use guns. 
Yeah, he's, and also the fact that what really sparked him off against the bullies was that being reminded of his parents' divorce at the age of 90 really rubbed him up. So there it was, Glenn Moore, with one of the greatest twists in the history of fiction. Honestly, I've never not seen something coming to that extent in my life. What a piece of writing that Titanic reveal is. It's like if he'd written Snakes on a Plane, and then halfway through when they're all fighting off snakes, he just said, oh, and by the way, this was happening on September the 11th, 2001, and these planes were not about to land in their planned destination. Ridiculous. Go and check out Glenn on Twitter. He writes hilarious jokes on there all the time. At the news at Glenn with two N's. Follow him on Instagram at Glenn Roger Moore with two O's. Um, and if you think of a message him saying, oh, big Bond fan, are you? Have a think if he's heard that joke before. Have a little think. He hasn't, so go and send it to him. Never heard it before. Roger Moore, he's never heard it before. Send him a message saying, are you a big Bond fan? He will love it. He's also an amazing stand-up comic, Glenn, so do go check out his live stuff once lockdown ends. In the meantime, make sure you subscribe to Early Work, give us five stars if you liked it, and why not write a little review of it on Apple Podcasts with your actual words and put a twist in there to try and rival Glenn's twist, but please don't make the twist that you actually hate me or hate the podcast or something. That wouldn't be very nice to read in lockdown. It's a tough lockdown. Anyway, I will see you next time. In the meantime, enjoy yourselves. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.